Um, if you're visiting us this morning, um, then you join us for the sixth in our series as week by week we've been looking through these early chapters of John's Gospel. And we've been looking together at the question, who is this man, Jesus of Nazareth? And so today we come to perhaps the most famous verse in the whole of the New Testament, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. These are words spoken by Jesus himself to uh, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, who came to Jesus secretly one night, trying to find out, just as we have been, who is this man, Jesus. So this morning we'll have a bit of a recap in the middle as to what we've discovered over these last five weeks from John 1, 2, and 3 about who Jesus is. Because we'll be looking in the context of John 3.16 about what God is up to. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that I said that I think there are only two responses possible to what Jesus has said and to what God is up to. And so our overriding purpose this morning is to consider very carefully which of those two responses we want to give. First of all, then, let us begin with what God has done according to this famous verse. And I want us to notice, please, three things about what God has done, the motivation, the situation, and his action. First of all, then, God's motivation. Because this verse is so well known, it's very easy to skip over the very beginning of it. God so loved. God so loved all of us, the world. That's what the world means. It means means us. It means all of us, wherever we come from, whatever we've been up to. God loves us. And so everything that I say this morning, in fact, everything we've already done, everything we've sung, everything we've prayed, All the clapping that we've done is in the context of God who so loves us. But then will you notice the situation into which Jesus speaks? You know, they say that love is blind, but God's love is not. God's love is steeped in realism for us and for the world around us. God knows. God knows everything. And Whatever it is that you and I try to ignore or argue away or pretend, you see, you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. So please notice this morning the situation of John 3.16, which is spoken by Jesus. He says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The situation, brothers and sisters is that we are perishing. We have a sell-by date. There will come a day, which none of us knows when it will be, when this life will be no more, and we will face a day of judgment. 
I have the privilege tomorrow morning of taking a funeral. My experience of funerals over the last few years is there are very, very few atheists at funerals. We are perishing. And the situation into which God acts is one in which we are all perishing. Of course, there are many in our society that would like to deny this. Alas, there are some in our churches who would like to deny this. But you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. And none of us should want to be pulling the wool over our own eyes either. We can kid ourselves, but we can't kid God, and God doesn't want anyone to be kidded. So motivated by this love, and in the face of the fact that we are all perishing, that we face death and separation from our Creator, from God himself, John 3.16 says that God acts. He doesn't leave us to it. He acts himself. It says he gave his only son. God is full of love. God understands our plight much better than we do. But thanks be to God, he has not left me to my own devices. God has acted. He has acted decisively in human history. And his actions have been recorded for us in the Bible so that we can know them all plainly. His actions are there for us to read. They are there for us to know. The ultimate action of God is that he gave his only son. His son is this man Jesus, born in Bethlehem, living in first century Palestine, ultimately given over to the authorities, gave his life for us by dying on a wooden Roman cross, gave his life that we might live, dying in our place. John 3.16, he gave his only son that we should not perish, but have eternal life. That's why, that's precisely why, if you're a regular here, we have spent the last five weeks asking ourselves, who is this son, Jesus? And that's why if you're a visitor here this morning and you haven't taken the time before in your life to make an inquiry of who Jesus of Nazareth is, I would urge you this morning to do that, to begin that here with us this morning and then to go home and make your own inquiry as to who this man Jesus is. Because if John 3.16 is true, it's vital that we know, and then it's vital that we respond the right way. For those that have been here and for those that haven't, a very quick recap of what we've learnt these last five weeks. From John 1.19 to John 3.15. Five weeks ago, John 1.19 to 34, the testimony of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. Links to Genesis 22, Exodus 12, Isaiah 53. The Lamb of God is the one sent to die in our place. He is our substitute. He is the one that takes my place. Four weeks ago, John 1, 35 to 51. Jesus knows me by name. He knew me before I was even born. And yet he calls me to follow him. 
links to Genesis 28, Jesus opens for me personally the way to heaven. Three weeks ago, John 2, 1 to 12, famous story, Jesus turns water into wine. At the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, links to Isaiah chapter 25. Jesus is the one whose arrival on earth heralds the start of the great feast in heaven. That's what the abundant wine means. He means the doors to the feast, to the party, are now open because Jesus, the son of the ultimate party giver, has brought new wine in fulfillment of Isaiah. Two weeks ago, John chapter 2, verses 13 to 25, Jesus, quite un-Jesus-like, cleansing the temple. Jesus brings in an age of true justice, not the phony justice that you and I know, and of true worship, not the staid worship that went on in the Jerusalem temple. Last week, John 3, 1 to 15, from which our reading that Dave read earlier on carries on, Nicodemus visits in the night. Jesus says he is the one who will be lifted up onto the cross to do the work of God in giving us, in giving you and me, a new start, just as we've heard, a new start like a new birth. Links to Ezekiel chapter 36. The new start is a cleansing from sin, from wrongdoing, and is a new way of making decisions in our hearts. Jesus is all of these things, does all of these things, fulfills all of these things. He is the Lamb of God. He is my substitute. He died when I ought to have done. He knows me my name, but he calls me and he opens up the way personally to me to heaven. The party is open, the great feast in heaven where there will be true worship and true justice, the likes of which this world does not know. And those that will enter are those that have made a new start, like a new birth, because they have trusted in the one who died on the cross in my place. Jesus is all of these things. And John 3.16 says that God so loved you and I that he sent this Jesus, that whoever believes in this Jesus, they will be the ones that will not perish, but will have everlasting life. This is what God has done. This is who Jesus is. Now how am I going to respond? There are, as I said at the beginning, only two possible responses. Uh, We live in a world, I think, that likes four choices. Um, We live in a world which, when asked difficult questions, would like to be able to say yes or no or don't know or don't care. And God says to us this morning that the don't knows and the don't cares are part of the no. There are two possible responses here. Whoever believes in Jesus and whoever does not believe in Jesus. As Dave was reading to us, our passage describes this choice. It comes at it in three different ways. 
in verse 16 itself, believe in Jesus and have eternal life. Don't believe in Jesus and continue perishing. Verse 18, believe in Jesus and don't be condemned. Do not believe in Jesus and be condemned to an eternity without God. At the end of our passage, verses 20 to 21, believe in Jesus and be drawn into the light. Do not believe in Jesus and remain living in darkness. When you believe in someone, you acknowledge who they really are, and then you put your confidence in what they have said and what they have done. When I say to my son or my daughter, I believe in you, it means that I acknowledging who you are as a person and what you say and what you do, I put my confidence in. That's what it means to believe in someone. And that is the choice that we all face. Do we believe in Jesus? Do we acknowledge who he is? Do we put our confidence in what he has said and what he has done for us, in particular what he has done for us on the cross? We don't have the four choices that we like. We only have two. Believe in, don't believe in. In a moment of quiet reflection, let's think before God which choice we wish to make.